In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Last week we began to discuss how the Christian life is a life of spiritual warfare. And this idea of spiritual warfare very much continues at the forefront of our focus this day as we encounter in our gospel text the Canaanite woman who is experiencing spiritual warfare in a very real and tangible sense. And at first glance, it may seem like her experience of having this demon in her life that is being battled and having a silent Lord, it would seem that this is an experience to which some of us can relate. But before we jump to a definitive conclusion about the takeaway from this text, and it is a difficult one, but before we jump to any conclusions, we must carefully consider the text itself, and particularly what our Lord invites us to focus on. Now, chances are when you open up your Bible to some place in the Gospels, chances are pretty good that the text that you read from any one of the Gospels will be focused primarily on our Lord Jesus, for the Gospels are primarily about Him. And yet, this text is different than most. Notice how at the end of the text, our Lord does not direct attention to Himself. In fact, He directs our focus away from Him and to the faith of the Canaanite woman. There are many questions that we might have about this text, particularly about our Lord's odd behavior, his failure to respond to this woman's plea for mercy with any kind of timeliness, and his seeming resistance to help her at all. We would like these answers, not just for an academic exercise, but because many of us have experienced something similar where we plead to the Lord for something and all we hear is silence. And yet our Lord doesn't answer very definitively the question as to why he remains silent. He simply praises the Canaanite woman's great faith and invites us to marvel at her faith as well. And so it is that as we consider the great faith of the Canaanite woman in this text, we learn something about prayer, how our prayers must submit to the will of the Lord. For this is exactly what the Canaanite woman does in this text. Now, if you stop for a second, and before we even get to the text of the Bible itself, think about the Canaanite woman's life situation that we might have, that we might be able to speculate on based on what the scriptures tell us. I would venture a guess that, that her life could fairly accurately be described as a life lived in the slums of spiritual warfare. This is a woman who lived in the pagan region of Phoenicia, which is well known from history and archaeology, to be a hotbed of the worship of many, many false gods. This woman, no doubt, is surrounded in her own family and in her own community with worship of these false gods, which the scriptures reveal to us to be demonic. And yet it is 
closer to home that her real problem and her real spiritual warfare lies with her daughter being severely oppressed by a demon. This woman has every reason to fret, every reason to give up, and yet St. Matthew, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, draws our attention to something significant. This woman who should know nothing of our Lord, who should know nothing of the salvation that he has come to bring, behold, this woman comes to our Lord displaying great, miraculous faith. Somehow, someway, this Canaanite, Gentile, pagan woman knows about Jesus of Nazareth. She's familiar with his reputation that had been spreading, that he was a great teacher and a miracle worker, one who healed the sick, one who cast out demons. And yet, if we pay attention to her first cry to our Lord, we see that there is more to her knowledge and understanding than just this secular reputation that Jesus might have had. (laughs) Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Now, if we take this cry kind of in reverse order, we can see what this woman is communicating through her words. First of all, she refers to our Lord as Son of David. That is the messianic title. He is Israel's promised Messiah, the one who would come and right what was wrong, not just for Israel, but by extension for all people. But he's not just the Messiah, not just the Son of David. He is Lord. That is, he is the true God. Yahweh, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He is the one who is able, as she cries out to him, to grant mercy. Have mercy on me, O Lord. This is the one. If there is anyone who can help her, this is it. He is the one who can grant aid and deliverance from this demon oppression. It's remarkable that this Canaanite woman has such great faith in our Lord Jesus, when his disciples who had been with him for so long seemed to lack it, at least at this point. And yet, as remarkable as the knowledge of this woman's faith is, it is not her knowledge of Jesus that makes her faith great. Next, we see that this woman experiences that which no Christian, no God-fearer wants to experience. She cries out to the Lord. She pleads with him for mercy and yet does not receive an answer. He answered her not a word. And then the disciples came and urged Jesus, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. And then our Lord speaks and seems to confirm exactly what he has been communicating through his silence. He seems to confirm a resolve not to help this woman. He answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now this is the point where the tragic story of this woman and her demon-oppressed daughter should come to an end. She should go back home, helpless and live out the rest of her days in misery, and yet she doesn't. It's remarkable. This woman's faith is not 
shaken. She makes her way up to Jesus and she falls down and worships him who had refused to help her. She will not cease in her prayer and she cries out, Lord, help me. And yet this remarkable and unshaken faith of the Canaanite woman and her persistence in crying for help is not what makes her faith great. Next, our Lord speaks again, and he takes that statement that we read in verse 24 and reiterates it again in verse 26. He first had said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and now he says, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, let's be clear. These statements, though they may seem like it, are not a rebuke of the Canaanite woman. Rather, what these statements are doing is setting right expectations. Recall all the miracles and the great things that our Lord had done in Israel. He healed the sick, even raised the dead. He miraculously fed thousands and thousands of people more than once. He did this in Israel even for ungrateful people, even for unbelievers. St. John emphasizes this in John 6, where our Lord miraculously feeds the 5,000, and then after he had crossed the sea, the crowd tracks him down again, and our Lord, in a very condemning and straightforward manner, tells them, you didn't come back to find me because you believe. You came because you want your bellies filled again. Our Lord did these kinds of miracles in Israel because he was Israel's Messiah. But our Lord wants to make clear that he did not come to do these sorts of miracles for the Gentiles. It's not as if our Lord didn't come for the Gentiles too, but he came to fulfill the promise that God had made to Abraham. That promise being, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Yes, Pentecost is coming. Yes, the Gentile missions of St. Paul are central to God's plan of salvation for all mankind. But Jesus Christ came to complete the messianic mission and to work out the, the divine plan of salvation among the Jews first. This is God's will. And herein lies the greatness of this Canaanite woman's faith. She understands this. She consents to the fact that Israel's Messiah has come for the Jew first. She submits to her place as one of the little dogs. And amazingly, she seems to give no thought to objection, nor does she even ask why the Lord has decided to act in this way. And in her great distress, this woman's ears were not dulled, nor was her mind darkened to Christ's words. For the one with great faith such as hers could see that Christ in his mercy had given her an opportunity. It is not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. But she does not desire the children's bread she does not desire that 
the Lord Jesus take away from Israel what he had come to give them. She desires deliverance and salvation for her daughter. She knows the promises that the Lord had made both in the Old Testament and that he would reaffirm in the New Testament that the Lord does not desire the death of a sinner but that he should come to repentance. She does not desire the children's bread. She desires the Lord's bread to be fed by her master. She desires that her daughter might receive salvation from demons. This is the greatness of her faith. She both discerns and knows the Lord's will. She accepts her place under that will humbly, and she prays according to it. My friends, it is not knowledge and it is not even persistence in prayer that makes one's faith great. These certainly are commendable virtues that should be pursued, but what makes faith great is submitting humbly to the Lord's will. I probably don't have to tell you that that is difficult. At times, his will does not make sense to us. At times, we don't understand why he seems to be silent in response to our repeated petitions. But through this example of the Canaanite woman, our Lord would teach us to have the same great faith. Our Lord would have us learn to patiently trust in his goodness, that he cares for us even when we can't hear his response, even when we don't understand the motive for his action or inaction. Our Lord desires that we would cling to his promises and so pray with all boldness that key petition of the Lord's prayer, thy will be done. Because we know that the salvation of sinners is always at the heart of God's will. Because this is why our Lord Jesus came to earth. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.